Hello mate, I'm Governor B and you're listening to The Lost Tapes. In 2017, my dad passed away unexpectedly and I realised shortly after that I wasn't well equipped to deal with or process grief. I'm still on that journey, but one thing that's helped is talking to people that have also experienced loss. They may not be able to take away my pain, but it's helpful to know that there are people out there who might have been through similar struggles and emotions that I've faced. On this podcast, I talk to guests about their experience of losing someone or something that they love. Today on the last episode of season one, I'll be talking to the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. We speak about the very tragic loss of his daughter, Joanna. How does someone in one of the most, if not the most, senior position in the Church of England deal with such a horrifying situation? I'm here today with Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. How are you? I'm fine, Isaac. Thanks. Thanks for speaking um, to me today. And I'd just like to say, actually, one of the things that I love about you from our our various uh, interactions is you just seem like a really down-to-earth and normal guy, which surprises me a little bit because you're in a job with such high expectations. Is... Being kind of human, something that you've had to, to grapple with or, or not really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I just feel um, I don't see myself as any one exceptional. I see the job as something exceptional. But myself as just a, a Christian who has to carry out a particular role who God's called to carry out a particular role and there's something in the Bible says that those who he calls he equips Mm. so I just have to get up every day and say help as a Christian there are great times that we'll go through and there are some challenging times that we'll have to walk through and you're going to be talking today about the loss of your daughter and Mm. just before you speak on that I wanted to ask whether processing your emotions and communicating them is something that you're naturally good at or whether you've had to, to wait a while to get to the point where you can openly discuss how you're feeling. Definitely having to learn how to do it. And it takes a lot of time. And I think, I think for two reasons. One is... Um, all of us come from different backgrounds and with some we grow up in families or households where everyone's very open about how they are and very self-aware. Others where people are far too open in an unhelpful way. And others where it's all bottled up or you just, there isn't a safe place to say how you are. Um, And I was at a boarding school where it wasn't a great thing to say how you were. Mm. You kept it to yourself um, most of the time. And uh, so it's a, I think also as we get older, or as time goes by, you learn what certain feelings within you mean. I still, I'm still not good at it on some things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. And 
do you think that becoming a Christian and, and having faith in Jesus has been uh, positive? Well, I guess it has been positive, of course, but has that been an outlet that you've used to express how you're feeling? Oh, it's been decisive mm. because I think the more we know we're loved, the easier it is to know who we are yeah. and, what, and to understand what's going on inside us. And the first place you do that totally safely is with God who knows mm. anyway. So I can say to God, I, I say, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm all tied up inside and I'm really angry. And, and I know God knows and I know that Jesus loves me, whatever. So it means that I can learn that openness yeah. in praying really openly, really transparently. And that enables you to learn to be more open with others. That's great. Um, what was your, your daughter's name and what was her character like? Because I've just had a son recently and I'm moved He's, by how early they show signs of, of uh, character. Her name was Joanna. And she was born on the 5th of November, 1982. And she died on June the 3rd, 1983. And she, her character was just open and sweet and laughing. She had... She was born with dislocated hips. And in those days, you had all kinds of straps on, so... <laughs> And she just thought things were funny the whole time. <laughs> you know, from the moment she could laugh, she laughed a lot. And she was just fun and, and sweet. Um, and so um, that's what I remember. I don't remember, I mean, like all babies, she woke up in the middle of the night, but <laughs> I don't remember her being, you know, particularly crying a lot or mm. anything, just being lovely. Amazing. And trusting, trusting people. You could, anyone could, you know, you could pass, all, all our friends could pick her up or people oh, at so church she, she and she just thought that was great. She'd go to anyone. <laughs> Wasn't clingy. Take us, if you don't mind, back to um, the circumstance, the, the kind of tragic turn of events and what happened Mm. Well, we were moving, I was working for a company in Paris in France and they moved me back uh, to do some work for them in London. And I was transferred, so that's quite a big thing. We'd lived in, I'd lived in France five years. And uh, uh, we'd packed up and I was working on a very big project in Paris and I couldn't get away on the day so Caroline went with a friend and uh, on the way north on the auto route about I don't know an hour north of Paris uh, <coughs> she uh, the, the someone else was driving but they went off the auto route no other cars involved and uh, 
hit something really solid and yeah. uh, uh, Joanna's cot went through the windscreen with her in it. Wow. And it struck her head. And uh, she was unconscious. That's the bell <laughs> in the background. That's all right. And she was unconscious and she then um, was rushed to hospital and then transferred by helicopter to another hospital, a paediatric intensive care unit. Wow. And uh, she had a bleed on the brain. Nowadays they've got the drugs to treat it, but they didn't then. Right. And uh, she died five days later. That's gut-wrenching and completely unexpected yeah out of the blue i was driven north and met caroline at the hospital and then we went to the other hospital and we seesawed up and down each day how is she and they were never the doctors were really lovely Mm. wonderful wonderful professor and uh then on the the last day, Friday morning, she uh, we went and saw her, and then we went to a cafe across the road, and we were from the hospital, and we were just so tired, and we prayed and said to the Lord, you know, if you if you want to have her, you better have her, wow. take her, and actually the home groups at our church have all been praying for us like mad. Several of them had had that verse in the Bible about let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. Hmm. Don't stop them. Uh, Jesus' words. And so we prayed that and we went back and as we got through the door, the professor said, oh, she's just taken a turn for the worse. And uh, they disconnected her from the tubes and she died a few minutes later. And there was such a sense of handing her over to Jesus. In, you know, we held her and it was really awful. Really sorry to hear that. And it's it's heartbreaking. And you mentioned that you were a Christian at the time. You yeah, been we've been praying. Christians for a little while. And you'd be praying through that whole oh, circumstance. Yeah. Morning, noon and night. How was that for you in terms of initially, I guess, praying for her healing and her yeah, full very much recovery so. to being at peace with handing her over to God? For me, it was a complete roller coaster. I don't know, um, I mean, on the day we're recording this, we, uh, I've just come back from being down uh, uh, with the lifeboat crew in Dover. We were out in the outer harbour at Dover and it's blowing force eight today. Mm. And... Uh, it's that sense of you get if you stand in an exposed place on a really high wind yeah. where you almost feel disembodied. It's sort of you can't get your bearings, you can't hold on to things. And it felt like that. Everything up and down every day, moments of hope and you'd sit there and think, I'm sure she'll get better, God will do something. Yeah, And then realising that wasn't going to happen. 
and uh, realizing that Jesus had taken her. And it felt very physical, that. It felt as though, you know, I said a few moments ago that we, she'd go to anybody. Yeah. And it just felt like I'd, for me, like I'd put her in his arms. Wow. And she'd gone happily. That's incredible. Mm. Did that make it easier, in a sense, to yes. reconcile it with your faith? Yes. It didn't mean that we had explanations. I think you've always got to be very cautious about explanations. But it did mean that we had... that whatever we felt about it, which we'll probably come to in a minute, but whatever we felt about it afterwards, that we knew God was in the middle of it. And you're right. We are coming to that. (laughs) (laughs) How did you feel? Obviously, you've experienced it. You've managed to be at peace with the fact that you've handed Mm. her over to God. But how did you feel in the, the days and months following that? Well... Bereavement, and that kind of bereavement particularly, but all bereavement. I remember when you last came uh, here, your dad had died in the previous year. Yeah. All bereavement is a journey through vulnerability and fragility. I meet a lot of people whose children died. Some suddenly and some with illness. And I've been talking to someone recently whose child died. And they put it very well when I last spoke to them. They said, I just feel vulnerable and fragile, not quite stable. Mm. So you'd have days where everything seemed more or less normal. And days when you'd sit at your desk and think, what's the point? Why bother? Yeah. And then there were other things, forgetfulness, bad temper, Mm. um, crying, um, uh, self-centeredness, seems that your world's the only world that matters. Um, And somehow, on that occasion, nevertheless, God was there somewhere Mm. in it all. Um, I've known periods of grief over other things where... I was so conscious of the absence of God. Right. And God was only felt through one's friends mm. who were Christians. You realize they were being Jesus to me. Yeah. And that I think, you know, I think the point is there isn't a right and a wrong way of going through these things. There's just your own way. Mm. And uh, when someone, there are, there is a certain pattern. There is healing. You do come through to a point where you haven't got over it, you never get over it. There's always a gap. Yeah. I never use the phrase, get over it. But where you learn to rebuild life around that gap. It's like a new normal, isn't there? And Yeah. 
it, you and you it. just I mean there's still people uh, I, I will see people of the age she would have been women of the age she would have been and think I wonder what would mm. she have been like and certainly November the 5th her birthday we always keep as a family day so I think there's a lot there's a lot of sort of ups and downs and different things and it's so individual different don't ever let people tell you how to grieve you grieve your own way talk to people about how you are grieving because people do get sort of stuck as it were and and just can't begin the rebuilding process mm. but that'll happen in its own time and it you just need your friends and certainly as a christian the friends we had then of you know were so precious to us because mm. they were there and they expressed the love of jesus to us I'm reminded of Psalm 13 where David's kind of crying out to God, yeah. saying things like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And why are my yeah. enemies triumphing over me? And he's lamenting. Is that something that you're good at? Because it's an important part of loss and grief, especially when there's no explanation. I'm getting better at lamenting and protesting <laughs> with God. It's really, really interesting that. It's a really good question. I go to Psalm 44, where the psalmist says it's almost a sort of, he's almost luring God on. I, I, we were reading it the other day, and he sort of says, God, you're a great God. You've done great things. <laughs> You've just been so amazing, and you think it's going to be one of those psalms. Pulling him in. <laughs> putting him in, you know, and God's saying, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he says, but you no longer go out with our armies. What have we done? You haven't told us what we've done. Mm. He says at one point, you've sold us for a pittance. I haven't even got decent deal on selling us out. And then he says, are you asleep? Why don't you wake up? And there's this real protest. Mm. And I think, certainly within the Anglican tradition, but I think within much modern Christianity, we are really bad yeah. at lament and protest. We're really bad at saying, at saying, this is terrible. This is wrong. This is awful. This is just terrible. And we're really bad at saying, God, I am really mad about this. Mm. I am so angry about this. And actually, God, I think you've let me down. Mm. Well, the psalmist does. If, if it's in the Bible, we can do it. Yeah. And I think those moods, as it were, we do, well, as Anglicans, of course, we do moderate celebration, um, uh, a certain level of confession, a reasonable amount of thanksgiving, a proper and sober degree of decoration. But we never really let rip on the celebration and we're not too good at, um, uh, at the lament and protest. So I think it's something I've been learning over time. It's good. It's a journey. It's a journey. You know, with, when someone loses their life, sometimes it's via an illness which you can't really do anything about um in your situation 
do you ever kind of replay it over again in your head and think, am I able to forgive the person that was driving the car or... Yeah, we had a big lesson on that, or I Mm. had. Because I thought I had. Mm. And then about uh, 10 years ago, I realised, yeah, I had... I'd let go, but I hadn't... I wasn't resentful or bitter. But there was a level of reconciliation I hadn't... Achieved. Now I realised I'd sort of thought, okay, I can tick that box. I've done that. What was it ten years ago? Did you kind of just wake up? Oh, I met her. Think, okay. uh, I met the driver. Wow, um, who's lovely? Who's lovely? But I realised I didn't care for her mm. as I should do. Mm. And there lies. And. I'm not saying I should have done straight away. That's, you know, the church is there to be the church. In other words, other people needed to do that Mm. because there's only so much any human being can do. You can only do what you can do. It's no use beating yourself up for doing what you can't do. But you need not to forget that kind of thing. And I hadn't really followed that up and I regret that. Did you put something in place to deal with that or is that a journey that you're still, still walking on? I'm still on that journey. Naturally. Yeah, still on that journey. I think part of it is, I suppose it was so painful that time that you sort of think, well, if I... It, it will just bring the pain back in any yeah, way. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. It makes perfect sense. Is honouring your daughter's legacy something that you're really intentional about? I know you mentioned you have a family day on oh, her birthday. Yeah. What kind of happens on that day normally? Oh, um, <clears throat> well, when the other kids were growing up, uh, the younger ones, because she was the first, um, as they were growing up, November the 5th, we'd always have a big supper together and buy something and, you know, we don't so often buy things today, but we'll talk to each other, they'll come round for a meal. We remember Mm. her. And the thing I say to people is, as significant days will be different for different people. Might be the birthday, might be the anniversary of the death, might be Christmas, might be just some other significant day where you did something particularly important. I mean, if you've lost a spouse, it could be, uh, it's very likely to be your wedding anniversary, Mm. that kind of thing. So, and it might be all of them. You know, it could only be one day. But my rule of thumb is if either you attack the day or the day will attack you. Mm. So do something. Do something to remember and to celebrate the life that you miss. To celebrate, to say that was someone really important. And I think that's absolutely essential. 
you know, we're in a time where serious youth violence is prevalent in communities I up and down the country. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking when you lose a young person due to a circumstance that you can't control. Um, but it's another thing when you can actually preserve life and young people are still choosing to take it away from each other. Yeah, they are. What is your hope and prayer for, for young people up and down the country and also to young people that have lost people really close to them due to serious youth violence? First of all, what would my message be? I suppose it's build community. Don't wait for things to be done to you or for you or by you. Do it with people. Yeah. Build a community. I'm not talking about a gang. I'm talking about a community of love where you learn how to care for each other mm-hmm. and how to protect each other without the use of violence ever under any circumstances. Now, it's easily said, but it's been done throughout history. And I, I think it's something we do with God now, a load of people would hear that. Your many teenagers would hear that regardless of their ethnic background and say, yeah. what's, that got, what's this fella got to do with it? Yeah. Well, the experience of so many people has been that God has got everything to do with it because he came and lived in this world and grew up in a place of extreme violence, absolute violence, like some of the worst conflict zones in the world today, where he would have known people killed, murdered, dying of illness all around him. And he did that out of love for us and that love overflows into us when we allow it to. But... I, you know, there's all the lessons. I, I'm not, I find it very difficult to be judgmental. Mm. I remember once meeting a bloke who was a militia leader uh, out in some swamps and he led a militia group that was pretty cruel and uh, I was with meeting with them. And it was, they were quite complicated people, to put it mildly, um, and they were pretty spaced out, pretty high, pretty drunk for some of the time. But the next day, after we'd spent the night there, he took me on a little tour of his town. And I remember thinking, if I'd grown up here, I don't think I'd be any different to you. Wow. And I'd say that to young people, don't, I don't judge you. Mm. I just hope for you and pray for you and care for you because I know that you are capable of such amazing things and that you can use that energy and innovation and loyalty to one another to create a wonderful new world. It's brilliant. 
that's not the world you're living in. Yeah. To challenge injustice, cruelty, racism, brutality, but not do it with a blade, mm. but to challenge it with love in a way that people come away from engaging you, not needing hospital, but becoming hospitals for wounded souls. That's amazing. And thank you for being so open and honest um, out of something which is such a personal experience. And I've mentioned early on that people deal with loss and grief and bereavement in very different ways. Um, if there's someone that's a bit like you, uh, what is one piece of advice you would give having lost someone so close to you in terms of finding a way to move forward? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Even if you don't believe in God, tell God what you think. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> That's great. That's brilliant. You can always start a prayer by saying, well, the first prayer I, well, the, not wasn't the first prayer I prayed, but years ago when I opened my heart up to Jesus, the first thing I said was, I don't even know if you exist, but if you are, <laughs> if you do, then, etc. Yeah. So don't just go through it on yourself. Don't bottle it all up. Secondly, uh, so get help. Get, talk to people, people you trust, but find professionals. There are people who can really make a difference mm -hmm. on this. Um, uh, secondly, it's so painful. You feel that it's never going to end. And the pain slowly dies down. You've got to realise that a bereavement of someone you really love who is close to you, is like a, a, an incredibly serious physical injury. Yeah, yeah. If you had a, if you were on a bike and someone ran into you and your leg was broken at about nine pieces and you had endless operations, you'd be in pain. Incredibly painful. Mm. And, you know, you wouldn't think, okay, I'm going for a walk today because uh, I'm a big, brave, you know, whatever, you'd, You'd use crutches, you'd do your physio, you'd do your exercises, you'd do what the doctors said. A bereavement's a, a mental and an emotional and a psychic pain that is just appalling. It's an injury. It needs time to heal and the pain dies down. A person doesn't stop being a memory, but they can become a wonderful memory with an ache but a wonderful memory. So don't despair. And I'd also say, but you'd expect me to say that, I'm an archbishop. <laughs> I would say, turn to Jesus, because there you will find someone who embraces you, who doesn't judge you, who knows you inside out, back to front, upside down, and will be there. Thank you, Justin. Thank you very much, Isaac. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more of my personal story, I've shared about my grief process musically. Hands Are Made For Working is the name of the album and it's available on all music platforms. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can support us by writing a review on iTunes, sharing the podcast with friends and family, and if you wish, making a donation on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash governor B. And be sure to subscribe, because I'll be back soon with another guest. Cheers.